It's Thursday. Today is Thursday. I've brought you the greatest gift of all. Oh, yeah? Well, in that case... Entertain me! It's showtime. Make use of the help that God puts around you. We are not a glum lot. A promise is a promise. It's very simple. Just don't drink and go to meetings. Give time, time. Easy does it. I do it. Want to have self-esteem? Just do esteemable things. One day at a time. We carry the message, not the alcoholic. Don't quit before the miracle happens. We're the defective characters, three guys sitting around talking about our own personal recovery and experience in it. Hey, I'm Mike. I'm Dennis. James here. The opinions are our own. We do not represent any particular organization, institution, or fellowship today. Mike M. will be sharing his experience, strength, and hope with us. In this episode seven of the Defective Characters Podcast. Let's go. Mike, uh, first and foremost, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, You're today. welcome. And uh, Dennis, can you introduce Mike to everybody? Yes, absolutely. Let's see. The first time that I met Mike, I remember like I referred to uh, in episode two how like there is a time period where I wasn't drinking, but I uh, wasn't doing very well. And I had a friend that I kind of bonded with that kind of brought me into the room. Well, one night, like late at night after he got off of work, I was sitting outside my house on a a public bench. And we were just sitting there talking about life and just, you know, BSing and whatnot. And then all of a sudden this guy comes by with like holding a large pizza and then uh, my friend's like, oh, hey, how you doing? And, and starts talking to him. And then he introduces us, introduced him to me. And uh, so then we all three just started chatting. And uh, we uh, like t- touched on life and, and recovery and turned out he was in the program just like uh, my friend was. And we sat there probably for over an hour talking about recovery and whatnot and he sat there holding his pizza the whole time and i think that's a good example of of how selfless this guy can be and that guy ended up being mike Uh, maybe a couple months later i wound up going to my first meeting like i explained in episode two and maybe a week or two after that i ran into this guy at the meeting and i asked him to be my sponsor and he's been my sponsor ever since and he's walked me through the steps. He's helped me tackle fears and, and all kinds of stuff. So uh, I'm excited to have him here on this. So thanks for being with us today, Mike. And uh, thanks for telling your story. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dennis. I appreciate that. I got to add to the Dennis story. You know, he's talking about, you know, me helping with the, with the fears about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, one of the um, exposure therapies, as, as, we call, as we call it, was going to be to go rafting up in like North Con- North Carolina or something. And it somehow turned into from North Carolina rafting to a Thailand trip. So last Christmas, we ended up all going, a bunch of us, a couple of my other sponsees and a couple other friends all went to Thailand for three weeks over Christmas. So, you know, afraid of airplanes no longer, I, I imagine. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, yeah, life is, um, it, it's amazing. You know, that's why I love recovery because, You know, it's like right when I think it's getting a little boring or the meetings are getting a little long or, you know, it's like all of a sudden someone just shows up in my life. And the next thing you know, you got a new friend and you're taking them through this same process, you know, 
it's, I've realized that we're just, we're not different, you know, we're all the same. We have this common bond called alcoholism and, you know, it has a common solution and it's incredible that they stumbled on this, you know, 80, whatever, I guess, 84 years now or something ago. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it says, you know, somewhere in the book or something, it says something like, you know, how I became alcoholic, which I don't find it that important. All I know is the question I had when I first came in is, am I alcoholic? You know, and I know somewhere along the line, it says something like I try, I can't always quit entirely, but more importantly for my story is when I, I can't control the amount I take. And for me, that was, that's my case. Every time I pick up one, it's like, I end up, you know, somewhere I don't want to be especially towards the end. My sobriety date is February 14th, 2014. But I actually, you know, that gives me a little over five years, but I actually have seven years in the program. So in other words, it took me two years, you know, to get one year. And so, you know, I, I mean, I couldn't put together three months. One time I went, you know, nine months. I heard that's a real common, you know, month for some reason. Someone says it has something to do with pregnancy, but I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. No, um, you know, so I'm not really sure, you know, when it turned on me. All I know turned in, in you know, the favor. It was it, basically I would look at it is when I started doing the step work, my first sponsor, he told me one thing. He's like, he said to me, he said, you know, what you're doing is you're, I told him, I said, I'm doing, why am I keep relapsing? You know, he's, I, I go to all these meetings, you know, I, I go to the night meetings. I make coffee in the morning. I have three commitments. I have, I have, you know, a spiritual sponsor. I have you as my step sponsor. I have all, and he's like, what you're doing is you're confusing activity with action. And what he meant by it, he explained is like, I'm in a 12 step program, but I'm not doing the 12 steps. All I'm doing is I'm going to, which are important. I'm going to the meetings, you know, and I'm doing service, but you know, we know that this is unity recovery service, the triangle, of course, and it's just a lopsided stool and I could make it for a little while, but I couldn't put together what I like to say is this kind of permanent sobriety one day at a time thing comfortable sobriety. So I had to, you know, really dig deep. But before I get into any of that, you know, I'll just say that, you know, way back when I grew up in um, Massachusetts and I grew up in a big, a large family, there were seven of us. And, you know, one of the things that we're required to do if you, you know, if doing the step work is a lot of you guys know is the fourth step. And in the fourth step, you have these columns, right? In the first column, it's resentments, you know? So in this resentment column, my sponsor told me I need to write out all my resentments. And I remember thinking back, you know, he, I said, how far back should I go? He's like, think back as far as you can go. So I did, I thought back as far as I went and I got the piece of paper, you know, and I just don't want to relapse anymore. And I'm decided finally, maybe I should try to do these steps. You know, this is at a year or something, uh, just going to meetings. And so I thought back and I remembered my first resentment. My first resentment was actually this turtle I had. His name is Cricket. I was four years old. And I can actually remember my first memory is a resentment. And the resentment was my sister flushed down this toilet, this turtle down this toilet. And I remember running over to the toilet and seeing this little turtle's head spin up and look at me as it went down the drain. 
So I knew it was alive and I knew she was after this turtle and on and on and on. To this day, they don't remember killing this turtle. They said it was dead. But my first memory is of this resentment. So here I am putting this resentment on this piece of paper about this turtle. Now, whether this is what got me sober or whether this helps me, I don't know. You know, I don't know what exactly happens in this process, but all I know is I wanted to be thorough this time because I did a whole bunch of four steps and I always relapsed after. So what I did is in the beginning, I just started from the beginning and I went through my whole life, you know, and my life didn't look like a lot of the people in the rooms. So I didn't think it was important. You know, I didn't think it was important that, you know, I remembered my high school teacher, you know, saying something to me and embarrassing me. I didn't think that was important. So I didn't put stuff like that on on this list, you know? So, but this last time I did, you know, I grew up in this town that was pretty amazing. You know, we had dirt bikes and, you know, I don't want to say I lived a privileged life, but it was a very comfortable, we went skiing in the winters and, you know, soccer in the summers and motorcycles and a huge family. I have seven brothers and sisters and, you know, it was it was always the house that I grew up in in Massachusetts, just north of Boston. It was kind of like a um, it was kind of like where all the kids came over. The Bruin, the Boston Bruins lived right on the same street as me. We had the pond in the backyard with the ice hockey. We even had some of the nets from the, <laughs> the Bruins that were in the backyard. So, you know, this it was a fun time, you know, and I so I can't blame any of what happened to me on this childhood. This, you know, there was no abuse. I went to a Catholic school. I ended up moving to Florida uh, my junior year. I went to a private school here in Orlando, Florida. And um, then I went off ski, you know, went off um, on these adventures. And eventually I ended up in the University of Colorado. Where my drink accelerated. You know, before it was just here and there on the weekend. People talk about their first drink. Mine was nothing spectacular. Um, I had fun, you know. And I just went for years and years just partying. In college, we decided to sell our cars and buy a hot air balloon. We went into the hot air balloon business, um, but not just taking people for rides, but actually bungee jumping them out of these hot air balloons. We were the second company. Um, we were called Vertical Addictions. There was another company that also did it, but we were the, you know, we we're the second company in the United States to do this. And we hit this gravy train, basically, of bungee jumping all over the country and So that got me around traveling. But you can imagine being in this type of business, there's partying is just part of it. You know, it's just like it it just they just went together. So here I am, you know, doing well and traveling around and jumping people all all over these fairs and, and different colleges and and drinking and and everything seemed to be going fine. And, you know, right into my 30s, everything kept going just the way I thought it was supposed to go. It's like, it's like the party didn't end. And I thought that was a good thing. You know, I had no idea that I was headed towards this, this path that I didn't know that this path was going to take me somewhere because I saw my brothers do it. it. You know, it didn't take them, you know, they finally got married, you know, they, they kind of grew out of it. And for me, it just kept going and going and going. And to make a long story short, I'm in Florida and I cannot draw a sober breath, basically, is what it comes down to. The last couple years, uh, I'm living downtown Orlando. 
in a you know pretty nice place and you know i have all the stuff kind of so you know i didn't i still kind of thought i could pull this off but the problem was at this point i couldn't stop drinking um so you know the the case of beer always had to have two left in it you know for four in the morning and then for six in the morning and then at nine i'm off to you know and i'm still holding together you know this this company just docs i built docs uh, so you guys a lot of you guys know but um you know i'm pulling pulling this off and i'm maintaining this just this low level you know intoxication 24 hours a day for two years the last two years before i came into recovery i know nothing about recovery i've never gone to a psychiatrist i've never thought about my feelings i've never I've never dug deep, looked inside. I kind of gave up on the Catholic Church a long time ago. I wasn't really into spirituality. I kind of was a little bit in the sense of nature and that kind of thing, which which kind of helped out in recovery later. But what happened was um, it got to a point so bad that my parents, my brothers, they all decided to have an intervention on me. So here I am, seven years ago, seven and a half years ago now, I guess. Um, I walk into my parents' house, and the mood was strange, and there was a lot more people there than normal. A lot of my brothers and sisters are there, and some other people. And I said to my one of my brothers, I said, um, "Who died?" And they, he said, he's kind of a sarcastic guy. He kind, of, he said, "I was funny, funny though." He said, but he said to me, he goes, "No one yet." And I was like, oh, this is, don't tell me this is what I think it is. So I go upstairs and he follows me upstairs and he goes, listen, he goes, there's going to be an intervention. And so you have two choices right now. And this was actually on November 11th of 2011. I know that because that's the tattoo on my, on my arm. If you, if, if you ever, if you ever get sober, don't put a tattoo on your arm right away. Wait a, wait a year, maybe. But um, so what I thought was the worst day of my life turned out to be the most amazing day of my life because the day I, I made the decision to go to South Florida. They had it all arranged. That I would go to a, a place, a rehab center um, called, I think we can say the name of it. Why not? Oh, whatever. Um, one of the rehab centers down in, in South Florida. And uh, I got in the car and three and a half hours later, um, I'm, I'm sitting in a, in a place getting checked into a, it, they had two sections to it. They had a medical detox center for three days. And then they had the actual facility that was down maybe, um, a mile down the street. So I'm sitting basically in a hospital and, um, and I have never quit, uh, for more than a few hours in two years. So what happened was it was, you know, I don't usually tell this part of the story, but I, I guess I will. I don't know why I'm telling this right now, but during this process, my roommate was a guy named Mike. So my name is Mike. So they called him Michael. They called me Mike. They called me Florida Mike, right? There's 80 some guys in this place and we're there for 30, 28 days. Or whatever. And my roommate's name was Mike and he was a heroin addict and I was an alcoholic just the type of, even though I think it's the same thing and it's a whole other long story, but I'm the kind of person that drank. He was the kind of person that injected whatever. I think it's the same disease. But what happened was our charts got mi mixed up. So they're treating me as Michael and they're treating him as Mike. 
and they put me on Suboxone. So for two weeks, I'm on Suboxone, and you don't, I don't know what I'm on because they're giving me all sorts of, you know, vitamins and all sorts of things. It was a very nice rehab center. And um, so here I am having a, a fantastic time, very, feeling very comfortable sober, so I thought. And during the process of these different meetings and different things with different therapists in this recovery center, I'm going to a treatment with this lady once a day. And she keeps asking me about this drowning. She's like, you know, we need to tell, talk about this drowning, about this drowning, about this. And I'm like, drowning? I don't understand why you keep bringing up this drowning. So eventually they said, you know, listen, we know your brother died in a tragic pool accident last year. And we want to talk to you about it, but we wanted you to bring it up. But since you won't bring it up, we're going to just bring it up for you. And I said, listen, I said, I have a lot of brothers and none of them have drowned. And they said, what do you mean? And that's when we found out that we had, that found out that they they were actually, they had the wrong chart. So here they think I'm my roommate and my, you know, my poor roommate is suffering <laughs> on the couch. He can't even make it to any of the meetings. He's so sick because he's not on the stuff he needs to be. I'm on and having a blast swimming in the pools and the ocean and having a great time in rehab, not knowing that I'm high off this, this opiate um, or whatever Suboxin is. Um, so anyways, so they ended up having me sign this thing so I wouldn't sue them. And they gave me an extra two weeks uh, in the treatment center. Uh, for free. Um, and I had to sign some things. And I remember talking to my brother at one point, they let me make a phone call and he's like, of course you're going to sign that. You know, they're, they're there to save your life. You know, accidents happen. That's your, that's old behavior. So immediately I'm getting advice. Just who cares? Just sign this thing, move on, stay the extra two weeks and you know, whatever. So I ended up spending six weeks in this treatment center. So anyways, I get out of the treatment center, which I did not want. You know, I wanted to stay there. I was so comfortable, and I was in this routine, and, you know, and I'm, I'm really enjoying, you know, the different meetings I'm going to, outside meetings. And, you know, the whole, the whole process was just, it seemed like it was a fit for me right from the start, even though I couldn't get, you know, I, even though as my story goes, I couldn't get sober. The one thing I always did, though, is when I relapsed, I'd always just go right back to a meeting. So here I come back to Florida. And I come into Orlando and I have no idea where the AA is, but right before I left, they gave me a list of the meetings and I was looking at this. I'm taking the train back from South Florida and I'm looking at this list and I'm so surprised that the town I live in right next to Disney World has 12 meetings at the time. I think it was nine, nine meetings a week. And I was like, I live in this town and how is it that there's all these meetings? You know, where are they? So I come into town and I find this meeting that the guys I'm talking to right now, James and, you know, and Dennis and whatnot, they, you know, everyone here in celebration goes to these meetings, but you know, they, if you're, if you're not in, you don't know that they exist. So anyways, I I just show up at one of them, the night meeting, I show up at one of the night meetings and, um, and there was people talking about recovery, just like down in South Florida. And I was just amazed, you know, that this thing is this, that AA is just everywhere. You know, the disease is everywhere and, and AA is everywhere. And that's just, that's an amazing thing. You know, I couldn't imagine trying to get sober just with the big book like they did back in the, you know, the forties, but it's not the 1940s. It's, you know, 2000, 
I think it was 2012 or 13 at that point. And I ended up getting a sponsor. And I started, like I said before, I started going through this process. But all I did was I just went to the meetings, you know. And what happened is, and I'm not saying this is anything to do with the Suboxone or, you know, from me being medically treated with that drug or whatever. But what happened was, is I got such severe anxiety that I ended up going to the doctors, you know, when I came back and I couldn't do anything. I could, the only thing I could do is pretty much, I couldn't drive. Um, I was, had way too much anxiety for that. I took my bike mostly or walk to these meetings and I went to a doctor and I explained it to him. And so he put me, he immediately agreed with me and he said, not only do you, not only do you need some anxiety medicine, it looks like, you know, you, you have a, you know, probably Adderall would help too. So right walking away from that doctor's appointment, I was prescribed Ativan and Adderall. So that helped, you know, I was, I was once again, I'm back treating, you know, my disease with not my drug of choice, which was alcohol, but it was, it gave, it took the edge off and I was able to kind of hold some food down in between the meetings and I could, you know, but then I, what was happening was, I would get a month's supply of Ativan and Adderall and at about 22 days, I would run out of them, you know, because I couldn't take them as, you know, obviously as needed and a lot more than they said. So I was, you know, abusing the prescription. And as I ran out of them, I, I would then all of a sudden, you know, go into what we call, you know, untreated alcoholism. The anxiety levels would peak. I would just, you know, it, it just, life just became just crushing, emotional, you know, the, the lows were just intense and the anxiety was so much. I literally just could only do one thing was to go buy some beer and treat my alcoholism the way I've always done it. You know, I didn't know before, but now I know. Now I got some knowledge of AA. So as I got this knowledge of AA and I got, you know, I got, you know, the alcohol in me, it's not a, it's, it's, you got the guilt on top of the disease. You know, it's just a, it's not a fun place to be. So what did I do? I went out to find another doctor, different type of medicines. And I ended up getting another prescription for lorazepam and I think uh, Xanax. So now here I am at six months, eight months. And, and now I'm turning into a, like a junkie. Basically I'm, I'm on, I'm on Ativan, lorazepam, Adderall, um, but I'm not drinking except for when I would run out. So this happened for almost a year. People are really worried about me all over the all over town. People in recovery, my family is like, he's not getting better. He's losing a lot of weight. You know, what's going on? You know, he's, these are prescription drugs. The doctor says he needs them. So my sponsor is like, you got to get rid of these drugs. I tried to, I get rid of them. I'd relapse terribly because I have nothing now. I'm in between solutions. So at one point in about a year and three months, I decided to go to one of my brothers, tell him the whole story, how I'm basically about to get another doctor, you know, and just turn into a junkie. And I decided to tell him the whole story. We went to the doctors. I signed some forms saying I no longer have the privilege to take any narcotics. I gave him the last of it. He doled it out over a month period. And that is when I got sober. That is when I went through the fourth and fifth step. That's when I made amends to my parents. Um, I did it sober. 
the other time I was trying to do the work still on these narcotics. Mm-hmm. And I believe it was blocking me off from exactly what I needed. I needed, you know, I needed a spiritual experience. You know, it says, you know, somewhere in the book, it says, you know, I'm suffering from an illness, which only a spiritual experience will conquer. So here I am doing this thing sober for the first time in the, I'm doing kind of like life for the first time sober. Um, Not only alcohol, but everything, you know, I don't know if that this story will help anyone. Maybe there's someone out there that's in the same situation, but I couldn't, I can't take anything. Um, Somewhere along the line, I believe somewhere along the line, I've damaged something. And I have this, what they call this malady. I just have a very, you know, I, I'm very into this mind, body, spirit thing. And I have to feed this thing every day. I have to feed whatever, I have to feed this spirit that will get me through comfortably each day. And I believe that you can recover from, you know, I believe that you can recover from alcoholism on a daily basis if you just basically do these things. And that's what I do. On a daily basis, I, you know, I, I have a routine, you know, I, I go to, I, I basically, I heard one time I heard a, I heard a speaker at about maybe two years and they say, they said that they weren't sure what they should do, you know, what steps will be important. They weren't sure what meetings are important. They always had to make a decision, you know, every day they kept making a decision. And then, and I heard, she said, if I make a commitment, I don't have to have to make a decision. And she made the commitment to do it all. And I remember for years, I would walk outside in the morning and I'd put my two arms up and I'd say, today, I'm going to do it all. And I didn't mean like do it all, like you know, I'm going to go travel here or there, or, or you know, I'm going to, I just meant that I was going to do everything I could for my recovery that day. And what that looked like going to a lot of meetings, you know, I'd go to the morning meeting and I'd go to the night meeting. Um, I don't do that today. I go to about five or six meetings a week. You know, I got sponsees. I I help where I can, but back then I needed, this is what I needed. I needed to do everything. I had to, I had to put in probably, you know, I don't know what it would be, but maybe five to six hours a day into my recovery, you know, directly. Um, I had to stop lying, cheating. I had to, I had to basically just become, you know, the person that I was supposed to be the whole time. You know, I was a happy kid. I, I, I think somewhere along the line, you know, um, I just shifted from being this happy kid to being this manipulative adult. And in the process, I turned into an addict, an alcoholic. And, um, and luckily, you know, luckily there's a, there is this solution. And, and the solution is, is, is so simple. Uh, you know, now that I'm now that I've gone through the steps with other people, I realize just how simple this is, you know, and, you know, how it's been going on for, you know, it's been going on for, you know, decades and, you know, well before AA, centuries, I mean, way before AA, you know, a lot of this stuff was taken from Buddhism. You know, I remember Mother Teresa saying, if you want peace of mind, provide peace of mind for others. And I was like, you know, this stuff is just, you know, this stuff has been around forever. They just kind of put it in a way where I can understand it. They put it in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I remember one time when I was going to do my last fifth step, I've done three of them, you know, two were not sober. I was on all those drugs. But the last one I went, I was walking out the door and she said to me, 
I was cutting through their house to the, they live right down the street from me. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm going to do that fifth step. And she said, ah, she goes, let go and let God. And I was like, well, you know, she's not in recovery, but she knew that she knew to say that, you know, so this stuff is not, it's not rocket science. It's not, I mean, I, I believe that Bill and Bob did something no one else did. They put it in a language that I can relate to. And, and, you know, it's a process. It, it's not something quick. It's something that took me, you know, like I said, just to get comfortable in the rooms, it took me over a year. I couldn't, I could never raise my hand. You know, if, if sometimes they'd go around the room to try to trick me, you know, to, to talk. And I, you know, right before it was my turn, I would just go to the bathroom, you know. And at some point on a good day, I'd say, you know, I'm Mike, I'm just here to listen or something like that. And then at some point I started kind of talking and saying, you know, saying I'm having a good day, bad day, or different. I just started kind of being honest with the, with the group. Um, I remember the first time actually back in the, at the Triangle Club in South Florida, my very first meeting, we went around the room and we introduced ourselves. And the first time that I raised my hand and I said, I'm Mike, I'm an alcoholic, was a relief. I actually got a relief from there was something happened right then when I said that. It was almost like this thing is up. It's time time to start to look for a different solution. And today that's what I do. You know, I, I believe, you know, they somewhere in the book, you know, it says I used to memorize all this stuff, but today it's just somewhere in the book. I just say, you know, it says lack of power is my dilemma. And that's my dilemma today. I lack of power will always be my dilemma. And so what I do on a daily basis is I search out this power and I found a way to tap into it. And I believe when I, when I have this, I, I, I really believe it's the, you know, I, I believe it's the sixth sense, you know, or the fourth dimension. You know, I, I just don't believe that I'm just here, you know, in a two dimensional world. You know, I believe that there's something more, you know, some people might look at it as, you know, almost, you know, agnostic, you know, do I not believe in God? But, you know, to me, it's like, I don't know. But the one thing that's important is today I'm very open the fact that there might be and that's enough right now that's enough you know um before it was you know the big bang theory and you know and today it's today it's i believe that there's something there's a driving force behind you know behind me and everyone else basically somewhere in the book also it says and we agnostics it says you know deep down inside of every man woman and child is the fundamental idea of god and when I read that, I was like, God, that sounds so like Buddha. You know, it's like deep down inside me. It's not, you know, the Catholic church I went to, or it's not the Catholic school I went to. He's saying Bill is writing that deep down inside of me, you know, is this power that I need. And um, he also says right there, too, it's, it's blocked by calamity, pomp, and worship of other things. So if I stay away from those four words then I have a chance to tap into something that's already inside me. And when I kind of grasp that at that point, somewhere around a year and three months, a year and a half, I started to recover. I started to, I started to feel comfortable in the meetings. And today I don't have any anxiety today. I don't take any drugs. 
Um, today I don't drink and I don't think about it. You know, tonight we'll probably go to a bar and have a burger, but you know, it's just, um, James here on the other line, he's a bartender. I mean, you know, it's, it, when we recover, we can do anything. You know, alcohol was just a symptom as you hear all the time in the rooms. This is just a symptom of the problems. So, you know, it's a, what I'd like to say to the, you know, if someone's new and they're just listening to this, but they haven't been to a meeting, you know, the meetings are kind of like the place where I found, where I found like my people, you know, it's like my family is cool. You know, my clients are cool. Um, but AA, there's something about the people in AA, you know, the, it's like, you know, they've, they've been there, they've done that, you know, and they're so, there's just so, there's almost like, it's like a judgment free zone. It's like, I can walk in and just be myself, you know, and it's, it's an incredible thing. There's a story about being yourself actually, and then this, but um, there's a story about Michelangelo and when he, when he um, carved the statue of David, you know, he was, I think he was 26. The story has been going around a little bit. Someone Googled it. And I think he's, he was 26 years old at the, when he was, when he was going to, you know, commission to build this thing. And he, he wanted to do it a little different than his last one. So he went, he went around the world and he found the most amazing piece of granite and he brought it. And he also told, <laughs> he also told um, them that he wanted to do it publicly not in the museum. So they did it right out, but think how heavy this thing is. So they did it right outside the steps of the museum and the scaffolding and everything. So anyways, the lady is walking past the statue every day. She keeps walking past it and it's getting, it took him two years to, to chisel away. And towards the end, he's just polishing it. And she just can't believe what she's been seeing over the last two years. And she finally gets the courage up to talk. He's famous at this point. She finally gets up and have courage to talk to him, to Michelangelo. And she said, how did you do it? It's so beautiful. And Michelangelo leaned down off his scaffolding. He said, it was easy. I just chipped away everything that wasn't David. And I love that analogy because that's a, that's a lot what we do here in Alcoholics Anonymous. We, we bring in people that have all these layers, have all these hats, you know, and they're usually defense they're usually defense mechanisms, you know. And as we keep chipping away at the people, they become who they're supposed to be. You know, the children of God. They're supposed to be exactly who they are. And next thing you know, they're not fighting anyone or anything, including alcohol. And I'll end with this. My first sponsor always ended, he loved to speak, um, go around the country and speak and whatnot. And he'd always end this way. He said, I'd like to thank God for AA and I'd like to thank AA for my God. So with that, I close. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you for your story. Uh, yeah, now's the time we kind of go around and uh, thank you by identifying what we got out of uh, your message. And I, I still, I remember the first time that uh, I met you. This is Mike, Grateful Alcoholic. And I met you, Mike, at the, the pool house meeting that we're talking about that uh, is in Celebration, Florida, which is, uh, I, th I think it's fair to say, our, our home group and, and some of the people that we come across uh, that you'll hear in this podcast either are from Celebration or come through Celebration since it's so close to Disney. Uh, you know, we 
we have that. But I still I remember the first time uh, three years ago when I moved to town, you were the first person, whether you were the greeter or not, uh, that was outside the meeting and very welcoming. You know, uh, at that point uh, in your story, you probably you and I have, uh, you know, you have an additional, I don't know, uh, nine months sobriety on me um, of of your sobriety date. But you would think that you were, uh, you know, as we say, an old timer of somebody uh, who was there and had gone through it and could teach um, could teach people just kind of like what they what they had learned. And I really, uh, really value that, you know, anyone that uh, goes to uh, many meetings and, and knows that, you know, you never know what somebody else is going through and a handshake and a smile and a listening ear is, uh, is very valuable, especially, uh, you know, when I was new to town and making sure that I made as many meetings as I could at the time to, uh, you know, remember how important it is. Uh, I grew up uh, not far from where you did. And I didn't even know you, uh, you grew up in Massachusetts. I grew up in the South shore. Um, and the, I don't know what it is. It's almost like resentments are born in, I feel like in some areas. And because mm-hmm. my, my fourth step, uh, when I did a, a thorough, thorough inventory and kind of looked at everything, yeah, when I was four resentment started there as well. And it was family members and it was a different, uh, situation, but still, like if we look back, I do think it's really important. Like you touched upon, you never know what resentment might actually be, you know, blocking you from the sun, sunlight of the spirit, you know? Um, and that David analogy is, uh, is so classically accurate because maybe that is that little piece that you needed to chip away and chisel away to actually get to who Mike is, you know, mm-hmm. that resentment, um, uh, you talked about that you can uh, recover on a daily basis uh, just by making sure that basic routine um, and kind of sticking to it. Like I know if I feel wonky uh, that there's something I have to add into my program and not having any fear that uh, just because something is working for you today, uh, you know, we're going to grow and we're going to change and, uh, if the program has to change and, uh, you know, whether it's more meetings or more sponsees or more prayer or more meditation, uh, or more, I know it's a big part of, uh, you know, your journey in recovery, your journey in life and making sure, um, you explore different areas to learn more about yourself and it's stuff that you like. Uh, I think there's so much value in that, which is why I moved to Orlando from at the time Burlington, Vermont, where I got sober because I didn't want anything to prevent me. You know, I didn't make any major changes the first year of my sobriety because it was recommended not to. Um, But where I was, the people, places and things uh, were a lot. And after I had uh, a year and a half, my sponsor said, you know, the most important thing is you stay sober so you can help out another alcoholic um, and continue to make gratitude lists of the things that you appreciate in life. And that's why I remind myself whenever I say I'm an alcoholic, which I felt that same relief that you were talking about when you were at the meeting in South Florida um, of having that relief when I said I was an alcoholic. Um, 
the friend that took me to my first meeting said, you know, you don't have to say that. And I said, I want to, like it was, it was, uh, it was that warm blanket or if it was that exhale that I feel like I hadn't had in a very long time. The first time I was allowed to, uh, to be a part of something. Cause I always felt, um, less than, and it was the first time that I actually felt, uh, as close to equal to as I possibly could in the early days. Uh, it was tough, but it was, uh, it was one of the best feelings, you know, and it allowed me to, to come, uh, down to, you know, the Orlando area and, uh, be, you know, so close to where people vacation, you know, that, um, you know, I, I value, uh, having you in the rooms and sitting next to you at meetings and, and hearing your message, uh, whenever you share. So thank you so much for your message today as well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much again for your, your message, Mike. Dennis, you want to go next? Sure. Uh, Dennis, alcoholic. Um, I, um, yeah, I think like what you touched on at the very beginning, you were talking about um, basically tricking me into going to Thailand. I just want to set the record straight. Like, like we were in discussions about going to like – a couple hours away to go whitewater rafting or something like that or go camping and and stuff and and for a little context at this point i'm still battling my anxiety you know still new and recovering dealing with all of the stuff that i i deal with and uh so it's like okay yeah like i'm scared to go a couple hours away and whatnot and but like, it's something I can do. I know I got to face my fears. I know I got to get out of my bubble and do all of this. So, okay. Like, okay. Going on a camping trip. I think I can do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, we're going to Puerto Rico. And it's like, wait, what? No, I'm not going to Puerto Rico. Hell no. It's like a plane ride. That's like two hours away and like staying in a hotel and all of this stuff. So I battled that for probably like close to a month or so, like dealing with like, the overwhelming existential dread of, of going that far out of my bubble. And then finally I come to grips with it. It's like, all right, I'm scared to do it, but I'm going to do it. I can do it. I will do it. We're going to do it. Let's go. And then the moment that I psychologically came to grips with that, you're like, Oh, by the way, we're going to Thailand. And I was like, shit. And at that point I'm like, I'm already committed. I got to go. Like if I end up dying, I die, whatever. And I went. But in doing that, I think, like, if you would have approached it any other way, I probably wouldn't have gone. If you would have been, like, firsthand, like, we're going to Thailand, I would have been like, nope, not considering it, not going to happen. But that that Thailand trip, you know, 100% was, like, healthy for me. You know, like, I had a little bit of anxiety of going, but once we were up in the air and we went, like the anxiety like dissipated it's like during that time period you know you like Mike being my sponsor would always tell me like fear is a mile high but a paper thin and once you you know when you're walking up towards it it looks tall and scary and like untackable like you can't get past it but the moment that you walk through it you realize that it's very thin and then you know things like that is what like got me through that and got me up to that point and the truth was it was once I got there once I walked through that initial fear then it did dissipate and I you know I was able to go and have a good time you know I 
relatively didn't have any issues, you know, maybe a couple here or there, but overall, like it was, it was a pleasure. And, you know, it, it's, you know, coming back from that, a lot of the other anxieties that I had of just leaving my bubble and doing new things and stuff like that, like relatively dissipated to where now, like my normal default is not, is not anxiety where before it was just this constant fear of anxiety. Mm. So I, I appreciate that. Um, then also I want to touch on like where you mentioned when you got back from rehab in South Florida and you were looking over this list of meetings, how like, how are there like nine meetings in the neighborhood that I live in and I not know about it and stuff like that. And I can relate to that because like when going through my darkest period of time and like the year and a half that I wasn't drinking before I ever went into rehab, you know, I'm suffering from all like the depression, the anxiety and just have no solution whatsoever. And I'm with that feel, like constant feeling of hopelessness and, you know, not knowing where to go and whatever. But then as it turned out, once I walked into the rooms that like that solution that I was searching for to like make me feel better and, and deal with what I was going through was literally a block down the street from me. And that like the people that I would, that were going to end up helping me out through my life and, and get me through all of this were literally walking down the street next to me or working at the restaurant next to me. Like it, it is truly all around. And I think it, what it took for me was being open with someone and being honest with what I was going through and then mm -hmm. it just happened that that solution just was there the whole time. And I think that's very powerful to share, you know, mm -hmm. but again, thank you for uh, sharing your story with us. Appreciate it. You're welcome. It's just, it's amazing to see someone recover and to see Dennis um, go from someone who, you know, I know you heard his story maybe a few weeks ago, but you know, go from someone who can't leave their, bedroom and then the couch and then maybe the little restaurant underneath where he lives to you know to going to a meeting down the block and then you remember it was actually going to that funeral and you drove yourself across the bridge to tampa you know it started it, it started just little little things and you know, I, it's, maybe it was a little manipulative, but Thailand was beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> it absolutely was. James, what do you got? All right. Thanks, Mike. I uh, appreciate you coming in here and uh, giving us your story. It's always good to hear from you. Yeah, thanks. It's a beautiful studio, by the way. Yeah. I, <laughs> I use egg cartons, by the way. If you wonder what those are, those are egg cartons. This looks like, this looks like, um, yeah, I, I, with the glass and the microphone, I've never spoken into my, anyways. Well, Sorry. not all of us can own our own business, so we got to do it. Oh. <laughs> so Mike is, Mike is one of those people that I've been um, around celebration for two years. And he's one of the guys that has been an anchor in my recovery. Um, he's always willing to do fun things with me and to cheer me up and to be there. And he is more selfless and giving than most people I've met in my entire life. Like he's, given me his house to stay in for the weekend or the weeks while he's gone. He's lent me his car to drive down to Miami. 
He's bought me dinner. He's given me support. And he's just so kind. And I just wanted to say that to everyone. And I'm sure he's always been like that. But being in recovery with him, uh, you know, I consider him one of my best friends. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have him. I thought about uh, when he started talking his story, how when he first came in, it took him two years to get one year. I can definitely relate to that. Um, for me, it was 14 years before I got one year. Um, and it was, I could definitely relate to the activity and not action. Um, I, I was going to meetings and just going through the steps, but never really truly getting honest with myself. It wasn't until I, I really got honest and, and found out what was, you know, eating my lunch, as my sponsor said, he said, just get that out get it out. It's no big deal. Whatever you think is going to happen, it's not. Um, most of it's in your mind anyways. And he was right. You know, once I got all that stuff out, I could really start living a happy, joyous, and free life. Um, it's very nice to be living in celebration with Dennis and Mike and Mike. And, you know, we always have a, a good time. I could see myself partying with these guys years ago. Um, <laughs> and I... And I, I see myself partying with these guys now, sober. And it's just, uh, it's a really cool feeling. Um, it's nice to have everything else in the world besides drugs and alcohol, you know? And relationships are a big part of my life now. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about drugs, thinking about alcohol. I think about what I can do for someone else today. I can think about what my God wants me to do and i know that mike has a very spiritual spiritual program right now and it's fun to bounce ideas off each other he's always um we we go back and forth sometimes about who's being more spiritual today and it's it's kind of fun he's uh, it's not a very spiritual conversation (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know what Dennis said, but I'm sure it was something about himself. <laughs> so um, that's all I got. Thanks, Mike. Um, come pick me up so we can go play. <laughs> you can house it anytime. Mike M., that's a, that's a wrap on your story. Thank you so much for uh, carrying the message. So important for us to, uh, to help us stay sober. That's really how it works. We will be back next Thursday with a special guest sharing their experience, strength, and hope with us on episode eight of this, uh, the Defective Characters podcast. We're defective characters, entirely ready to have all these character defects removed. Remember, we don't know what works, so we do it all. See you next time. (laughs) 